Hey, rock fan. Are you into British heavy metal? Yeah? Well, guess what? We have a doozy for you today. We're going to be talking about Iron Maiden. Oh, yeah. The legends themselves. Woohoo! Take it away, PJ Pat. Thank you so much for the intro, Fred. Welcome to all of you rock and roll fans. This is the It's One Ladder podcast with your humble host, PJ Pat. Thank you so much for joining with us. And guess what? Classic Rock Magazine came out with this awesome issue entitled The 80s Issue, and there's so much good stuff going on in this issue. But today we're going to focus on the legendary British band called Iron Maiden, as Fred just said. Back in the early 80s, there was this movement called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal coming into America, and obviously Iron Maiden is at the forefront of that. But there were other bands like Deep Purple, Motorhead, Raven, Judas Priest, Def Leppard, Diamond Head. All those bands were heavily influencing American bands at the time. If you talk to, for example, Metallica, they were heavily influenced by these British bands. And specifically for them, Lars Ulrich was heavily influenced by Deep Purple. Iron Maiden, I mean, we can't see enough about that band, right? I've seen them a couple of times live, and every show they deliver. They're more of an operatic type of experience where there's a lot of props and Duke Dickinson's running around. Not just him, actually. The whole band's running around, and they really put on an amazing, amazing show. So if you had a chance to go see him, definitely go see him. It's definitely worth the ticket for sure. I got into Iron Maiden actually a little later than the 80s. In 1992, when they released Fear of the Dark, that album, that's the first album that really gripped me and gotten a hold of me ever since. But I actually think that one of their best albums is called Brave New World released in the year 2000. Go check it out if you haven't had a chance. It is quite something and a true testament to a band that releases an album like Brave New World, which is one of their best albums, I think, over 20 years after they founded. It's just unbelievable. So that's the kind of band that we're talking about, Iron Maiden, and they've released some really bangers since then as well. All right, let's get right into it. Like I said, this is part of the 80s issue from Classic Rock Magazine. The article is called Road Rage. Back in 1980, the new wave of British heavy metal was a movement on everybody's lips. So Iron Maiden hit the road in Europe to see if it could survive outside the UK. Words by Jeff Barton, photos by Ross Halflin. It's an old adage, but life on the road isn't all it's cracked up to be. Moments of alcoholic excess, white line lunacy, and stud farm fever do exist on tour, of course. It'd be foolish to suggest otherwise, but not in anything like the rock and roll all night slash party every day abundance of music folklore. Now, your regular hard-gigging band lives not in a drug-infested, groupie-packed underworld, but in a distinctively unromantic and altogether harsher reality. All of the above was well and truly rammed home to me in autumn 1980, when I spent some time in continental Europe traveling from venue to venue with Iron Maiden. To annotate the moments of mayhem experienced during this period would be difficult. Alright, so I did catch Maiden singer Paul Diano, later to be replaced by Bruce Dickinson, relieving himself in a hotel corridor, and guitarist Dave Murray doing much of the same thing in a Holiday Inn ashtray. But in truth, events of any sort of crazed chicken shooting slash plain loop-the-looping level were conspicuous in their absence. Allow me to cast my mind back, and I'll try to explain. Hey, Rock fan, thank you so much for watching my video. If you're digging what you're seeing, don't forget to subscribe. It really helps us out. And let's continue this article. Iron Maiden are supporting KISS in Europe. And the date schedule is more demanding than a spoiled child continuously asking for new toys. It involves traveling vast distances in hectic hours as opposed to leisurely days. Right now we're thrashing our way from Hamburg in Germany to Leiden in Holland. A trek that makes London to Glasgow seem like a dawdle down to the corner shop. Unlike Kiss who can afford to fly from date to date by jet, their tour openers from London's humble east end are forced to burn rubber down the Autobahns. And although the maiden coach, an American-made custom van costing 9,000 pounds, expensive, 
by 1980 standards, is smooth running, carpeted, fitted, with a selection of swivel chairs and really quite luxurious, we've been motoring down for so long that at the moment it feels about as comfortable as sitting in a covered wagon jolting down a dusty trail. It's 5.30 in the evening by the time we bump across the cobbles of good old Leyden Town. With no time to check into the hotel, we shake and rattle our way directly to the night's venue. Inside Maiden's vehicle, it looks like everyone has OD'd on Magadan. Dave Murray's head lolls on its side, all blonde and no face. Paul Diano is slumped gracelessly in his seat, like a man rendered unconscious after an 18-pint session. Drummer Clive Burr's head jerks up and down like a nodding Aslatians. And in an hour and a half from now, the Sorry Souls are supposed to be up on stage, pounding out a set of gut-wrenching, hard-riffing, ear-blasting heavy metal. Do me a favor. But then the strangest thing happens. As we pull up in front of the backstage gate to the Greenordal, I hope I spelled that right, a functional aircraft hangar-like building, Dave Murray spots a denim jacket with an all-too-familiar band logo stenciled on the back, and another, and then another. Sleepily, he starts to sense that the van is surrounded by people. Hazily, we realize that the banging we're hearing is coming from fans hammering on the coach, not from within our heads. We begin to understand that this is not a spearhead of the laden Kiss Army that's creating havoc outside. No, sir. We are in the presence of bona fide Iron Maiden aficionados. A banner is unfurled. The kids holding it are screaming and pointing. It depicts the contorted face of Eddie, Iron Maiden's mascot, copied from the cover of their debut album. And by the side of Eddie's wizened face, it reads in screaming red, big capital letters, Iron Maiden, go over the top. The effect is startling. It dawns on Maiden that even in this obscure part of the Netherlands, even at this very early stage of what would later become a spectacular successful career, they have already made significant inroads. It's as if the group members, completed by bassist Steve Harris and guitarist Dennis Stratton, have been simultaneously doused with buckets of cold water, had blazing torches shown into their eyes and ringing alarm clocks trapped to their ears. Suddenly Iron Maiden are ready to go. There follows a 45-minute support slot that is little short of spectacular. Dwarfed by the gigantic KISS logo with the last two letters altered slightly from the German section of the tour, thus avoiding unfavorable comparisons with the Nazis' SS movement. Wow, that's crazy, but I guess that makes sense if you think about it. And with not even a drum riser to decorate their stage set beyond the bare essentials, Maiden nonetheless managed to give the New York band a run for their money. And when you consider that each member of KISS is a multi-millionaire, you can appreciate that's no mean achievement. There are some in the audience who initially step back and snarl at the audacity of these little Englanders and their attempt to grab a share of the Bill's topper's glory. But soon enough, everyone is won over and has joined in a craziness with the swaying celebratory throng. I've seldom seen Maiden better. The punk slash heavy metal crossover begins here. Your old hard rock albums from the 1970s have been made redundant by the freshly forged, still scalding speediness of the Iron Maiden sound. All right, real quick, I just want to pause here and comment on something. I've seen a lot of the 80s metals bands comment that back in the 80s, it was very clicky. You know, you had your skaters, you had your jocks, you had your heavy metal fans, you had your punk fans, and you all had your uniform, and not really a lot of people kind of mixed with each other. But from what the 80s metals bands are saying is that Iron Maiden was one of those bands that really crossed those categories. So you'd find skater kids wearing Iron Maiden t-shirts, you'd find punk bands, and of course metal fans. And I heard Metallica was one of those bands as well that really, you know, no matter who you were, you were proud to wear one of their t-shirts. So I think what explains that is outlined right here in your article where it says the punk slash heavy metal crossover begins here. So it really began with Iron Maiden. So if you think about their music, a lot of it is just power chords, right? Very punky power chords just driving the song. Um, and also Iron Maiden actually invented the whole galloping rhythm. So if you think about it, a lot of it is right? It's like 
it simulates horse galloping and Iron Maiden came up with that. They invented that whole rhythm and I think that's so cool and the fact that it was a lot of paracordy playing really fast, I think that spoke to a lot of skater heads, punk fans and also metal fans all at the same time. Later, Paul Diano tells me how much he's enjoying being on the road with KISS. We're having an amazing time over here. We came over expecting nothing, but it's been so good. Touring with KISS is one of the best moves we've made. They've been so great to us, I'm knocked out. Oh, on a side note, whenever you hear me quote someone, picture a really classy British accent, will ya? Dave Murray nods in agreement. KISS have been terrific, he says. On our first gig with them, we had trouble with our equipment. It was delayed at some border or other. It eventually arrived about an hour before we were due to go on, so that was okay. But all during the day, KISS bassist slash vocalist Gene Simmons had been saying to us, Don't worry boys, if your gear doesn't turn up, we'll make sure you don't have to cancel. Gene was prepared to lend us some of KISS's guitars and drums. He even sent someone out to see if we could hire a backline for us. It was a nice gesture. Diano says, KISS could have ignored us, but they've been really helpful, very encouraging. We often notice the band members in the wings watching our show. They like to see Eddie warming up to the crowd. They love that. KISS guitarist Ace Frehley got so carried away, I even saw him climbing up the lighting rig to get a better view. Platform boots and all. <laughs> I guess that was uh, their makeup years at the time. All this is certainly a long way from the Ruskin Arms. The London pub Maiden were playing gigs and not so long ago. Yeah, Murray agrees. A hint of nostalgia in his voice. I hope our fans don't forget us while we're over here in Europe. Although to me, it feels just the same as it did when we were playing around the pubs in the East End. Just the same. The trouble is, you can't remain a cult band all your life. You've got to make a living. If people want to see Maiden branch out, we've got to do it. Because if we don't earn money, we'll end up bankrupt. And then nobody will be able to see us at all. <laughs> That's funny reading this now, right? They're freaking multimillionaires. Diano says, But we still want to stay as close as possible to the kids who got us up here in the first place. I don't want people to start muttering, Oh look, there's so-and-so from Iron Maiden there. Shall we talk to him or shan't we? Bollocks. They should be able to come over and say, Hello, mate. How is it? I thought you played like a cunt the other night. Something like that. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. I promise. I know what you mean, Murray chips in. I also hate people who make posy statements like, Hey man, that was a really great gig. Well, you know full well you play like a toe rag. Diano says, It's kind of frightening though. I've never felt so confident in my life. It's scary. Sometimes I lie awake in bed at night and ask myself, Am I going over the top or what? I don't think so. Diano and his partners in grime are such a basic bunch that if they took lessons, they'd never cut it as cool. But that doesn't mean to say that they don't want to improve themselves. Take Maiden's self-titled debut album, for example. Six months after its release, Diano says he finds it, quote-unquote, rather embarrassing and is anxious for the follow-up to be shit-hot. No wonder his days in the band were numbered. <laughs> the songs are strong enough on stage, Diano maintains. On record, though, they sound a little weak. Okay, so it was our first album, and it was an achievement in a way to have even gotten it out. But production-wise, when I listen and compare it to some of the LPs I have at home, I think, well, for fuck's sake, what's going on? It's pretty gritty. The situation should be rectified by Martin Birch, who's going to be producing Iron Maiden 2, subsequently titled Killers. Freaking awesome album, by the way. We were really lucky to get him, says Murray. He turned down some pretty big bands to do us because he thinks there's something there that he can help bring out. He can pick and choose. He doesn't have to push himself forward or anything. But he listened to us and said, Yeah, well, I can do a better job than your first album, definitely. Birch, as you may recall, is most famous for his engineering on Deep Purple's albums. That's the strangest thing, reflects Diano. The other day I was talking to one of the guys from our record company, EMI. He said, The reason we signed you is that we believe we have another Deep Purple in the making. That freaked me out. But then I thought, Yeah, well, maybe that's true. But you know, you've got to keep it in perspective instead of thinking, All right, they've got it sewn up. We're the new fucking Deep Purple. I don't know. It's a bit weird. 
you've got to take it step by step. Let's close with a Gene Simmons anecdote. Gene doesn't usually wear other bands t-shirts, said Diano. So I was surprised when he came up to me the other day and asked for a maiden one. I said, what do you want it for? You'll never wear it. And Gene replied, you're right. You won't often see me in anything other than a Kiss t-shirt. But if I had one with the name of a group that's going straight to the top, then I wouldn't mind. And Mr. Gene Simmons, as you know, is always right. <laughs> that is it. Pretty short and sweet. Well, to think back in 1980 that Iron Maiden was a band that was just up and coming and just a fraction of what Kiss was is pretty crazy right now, you know? I mean, knowing what they are now. But if you think about it, every band started off that way, you know? Paying their dues on a road, playing shitty clubs, playing in front of two people, playing in front of ten people, dragging their asses in, like, shitty vans all across shitty cities. It is inspiring to read and learn about these bands that came from nowhere and came from broken homes or shitty situations to turn around and be the successful band that they are and successful person that they are it's really cool it's really cool you know yes i know it's they're one in a million actually one in two million nowadays but it's still inspiring to see and to read about you know that's why i love reading these articles and hopefully you do too hopefully you enjoyed that article don't forget if you really dug this please subscribe please like and also if you want to connect with me outside of youtube definitely reach out to me at pj pat loves rock on x instagram and tiktok and I'll rock with you there.